Amen. Good morning, everyone. Still, am I on? I'm on. The green lights there. There we go. Okay, cool. Good morning. You don't know who I am. My name is David. I'm the teaching pastor here. I'm glad that you've joined us to worship together on the Lord's Day. Today is our first Sunday in the book of Galatians. So for the next uh, few weeks, we're going to be studying in the book of Galatians. And today's sermon is entitled God's Gift. God's Gift. Now, you, you notice I have a brown paper bag here. And inside this bag, I have contraband. I have something that, that is banned. In fact, sometimes to get this, you have to go to a dealer. Might be my last sermon, who knows? What I have right here is my childhood binder of Pokemon cards. Because if any of you who are teachers, you might know why these are banned in schools sometimes, is because kids become obsessed with trading these things. And then problems arise because, you know, some nice parent spends a lot of money on nice Pokemon cards and gives them to their kid. And then they go to school and some older kid says, hey, I'll trade you this for that. And they really want to impress the older kid. And the older kid says, yeah, this is a way better card anyway. You're going to want this one and I can take this one. It's not that good, but I'll take it from you. And they get ripped off. And the older kid ends up with their good cards. The kid uh, ends up with junk cards, and then the parents get upset, and it just leads to a lot of drama. Why? Because a bad trade was made. A bad trade was made. And so as we jump into the book of Galatians, the reason that the Apostle Paul sent this letter to the churches of Galatia is because they made a bad trade. They made a bad trade. Back in Acts 13 and 14, in the missionary journeys, uh, Paul and Barnabas had come through the region of Galatia and they had preached the gospel in cities there. And if you remember, when we just studied the book of Acts last year, they faced a lot of opposition and violent hatred at the hands of the Jews, but there were many people who did put their trust in Jesus, especially many Gentiles who put their trust in Jesus. The whole region was kind of known as Galatia, but it got its name from the, the barbarians who lived in the north. That is the name that the Romans gave them, and so the whole area kind of became known as Galatia. And there was this conflict in the early church in the first century because worshiping the one true living God had been up until that point through the, the path to do that was through Jewish worship was to join a synagogue. And Jesus changed that. Jesus changed that. That the gospel message is not just for the Jews, it's for everyone. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. And there was this tension in the early church as all of these non-Jews are coming to know Jesus. They're, they're reading the Old Testament. They want to honor God, and there were these Jewish Christians who said, well, yeah, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, 
He lines up with all the prophecies we've had. We recognize him as the one that God sent, as God himself. But if you want to be right with God, you still need to become a Jew. It was a twisting of the gospel message. A message that says that Jesus died for your sins. He offers you forgiveness as a gift, not as something you merit based on what you do. And these Judaizers were sweeping into churches and they were presenting a false gospel. And unfortunately, the Galatians made the trade. They traded the true gospel for a false one. And so these Judaizers, these opponents of the gospel, they were portraying Paul as a false apostle. Well, he's, he's not even one of the original 12. He, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. And we're going to see Paul address that here in Galatians 1. The main idea we're covering today is that the true gospel is a gift from God, not from man. It's a gift from God, not from man. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. The words will also be on the screen. The first two verses, it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Right off the bat, in just a few words, Paul is defending himself. He is presenting himself as an apostle. The term apostle meant delegate or messenger. And we see in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, that 11 of Jesus' disciples became apostles. They were his special delegates. They, they had seen the risen Christ, and they were to carry that message to the nations. But as we're going to see uh, later in the chapter, Paul was also added to that list of apostles. He too had a divine encounter with Jesus. But an apostle was a special role. The apostles went around and they appointed presbyters, which we refer to as elders. Other traditions use the term bishop. But they did not make more apostles. It was not that the apostles made someone an apostle. No, Jesus had to make you an apostle. That's why there are not apostles today. You had to be appointed by the resurrected Christ to be an apostle. So moving on in verses 3 through five, after Paul has, has just said, look, I'm an apostle. Not, no, no person gave me this authority or this position, but Jesus gave me this position. God the Father gave me this position. Verses three through five, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever Amen. In this small kind of blessing in the introduction to this letter, it is this concise summary of the gospel. It's not a technical summary of the gospel, but it touches on many of the aspects of the good news that we carry as Christians. That salvation is all about peace. Peace with God, peace with others, and peace within. And that the source of salvation is grace. It is God's free favor. It's not due to what we have done. Rather, it is undeserved. 
And this grace and peace flows from the Father and the Son together. That the great act of rescue that God is doing, that he has done, was by Christ being the, sac the sacrifice for us in his death on the cross, which provides full forgiveness and the opportunity for us to live in the age to come and escape the present corrupt age that is passing away. It's very beautiful. It's, it's very short. There's obviously a lot more that needs to be unpacked there. But right off the bat, you can see that, that Paul is stepping up to the plate and he is ready to defend the gospel and defend his place as an apostle, as one carrying the gospel. In verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So here is that bad trade we were talking about. They traded this gospel for a different message. And he says that this desertion is actually a desertion of Christ, that you have abandoned Christ in making this trade. This is no little matter. Now, reality, they haven't actually traded one means of being saved for another. There's only one true gospel. We'll see that in verse 7. But I think what's really important in verse 6 is that Jesus is not a free agent. You, you can't just take Jesus and slap him on whatever ideas you have and say, oh, yep, you see, Jesus is compatible with everything I believe. And this is kind of, this is kind of my idea of how man find, finds redemption and peace. It doesn't work that way, though many people do that. They just take Jesus as the mascot of their own ideas. But Jesus has provided one rescue. And either we accept that rescue or we don't. We cannot just slap him on our own idea, our own plan. It will not work. This is exactly the point that's made here in verse 7. He says, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There's one way to be saved. It's through Jesus. These people are distorting the message Continuing on in verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This term accursed is an extreme word, and he uses it twice. It's the word anathema, to be cast away forever from the presence of God. He's saying, look, if anyone tries to distort this message, let them be accursed. He says, even if we do it, even if an angel presents a gospel different. I, I think this is also so, so important. He's on one hand is leaning on his authority as an apostle. Because the apostles did receive the gospel from Jesus. But he's also saying, look, if even an apostle changes the message, get rid of them. Be gone with them. Because there's one message. It's not ours to change or distort or adjust. That's so important because there's so many cults out there where one leader controls everything. They decide what the message is. And people buy into that message, and you, you, there's a 
1,001 documentaries on Netflix about this, the message never stays the same. They, they rope everyone in with this message of like peace, love, and happiness, or survive the apocalypse, or whatever it is, and then it just gets wackier. And they start adjusting the message because maybe they made a prediction and it's wrong, so no, actually, this is how everything's going to play out. Or they start changing it so they can take other people's wives or take all of their money. Paul's saying, look, this message is unchanging. Even if someone who seems reputable tries to change it, don't listen to them. May they be accursed. Continuing on, I'm just going to read actually the rest of the section in verse 10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of mine own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The, the essence of what Paul is saying, and we see it in verse 10, he's saying, look, this message, this gospel, this good news is not man's. Saying, look, I wouldn't have fabricated it. If I was to make up a message, this is not the one that I would make up. I'm not gaining anything by being a preacher of the gospel. And he reiterates, reiterates part of his story here. He was a Jew of Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had risen through the religious ranks in his tradition and had become very zealous for his faith. Zealous to the point that he wanted Christians dead. He saw this group of people uh, growing and growing and growing where Jews were now putting their trust in Jesus. It worried him. It concerned him. It enraged him. And so when we see him in the book of Acts, he's going around getting Christians arrested, delivering them to the high priest. Some of them are getting killed. And he's on his way to Damascus to do the very same thing. He's the last guy that you would catch preaching the gospel. He was trying to exterminate it. And yet on the road to Damascus, he meets the risen Christ. He's struck blind. He has an amazing encounter. And after which he is never the same again that, that Saul, the persecutor of the Christian church, 
becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, commissioned by Jesus to take the message to those who were not Jews, to go to the ends of the empire and share that message of hope. And after he had that experience, he didn't then go visit the rest of the apostles and have them fill in the details for him. He went off alone for a while. And then he was serving in Damascus for a while. He had minimal contact with the apostles. And the point he's making is, look, they did not teach me this. I had an encounter with Jesus that radically changed me. And the message that Christ gave me when I later visited with the apostles, the messages matched perfectly. It was one and the same gospel, one message of good news. In his testimony here, he talks about God setting him apart from his birth for this and then choosing to reveal himself. And it echoes the prophet Jeremiah's calling in Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Paul was someone that God chose to use despite his failures, despite his horrific past to share the good news to the Gentiles. So there's kind of two bits of evidence here. There's evidence A, that is Paul's life changed from persecutor to evangelist. And then secondly, and this is explained a little bit more in chapter two, that his message matched after three years and without discipleship. That very clearly there is one message that Jesus Christ gave to his apostles, one message of good news. Now, throughout history, throughout time, especially through, through church history, there are countless stories of people who have given up seemingly everything for nothing. People who have struck it rich, people who have found all of the success in the world, and yet they've thrown it away to seek Christ. I was reading through a, a kind of a list, a, a compilation of stories like this, and there was just one that I want to share with you because it's from a, a place that's very far away from here and different than here. In the 1990s, there was a guy named Yevgeny Pushenko in Russia. The Soviet Union had just broken up, and so that region went from being a place where there was basically no opportunity to better yourselves unless you got into government to actually having an opportunity to experiment with capitalism. And so this guy took advantage of that and he started a clothing factory and he became very wealthy, but he still felt empty. You know, the Soviets kept a lot of things from the people, but there were two things they really suppressed. And it was one was the flow of goods. They controlled that with an iron fist. And the second one was Christianity. Soviets were violent persecutors and manipulators of Christianity. But the Soviet Union had broken up. And so he pursued that one thing, wealth, that they had kept from them. And yet it just didn't sit right with him. He still felt empty inside. And so he decided that he needed to reconnect with Christianity. And it wasn't long after that, actually, that he invited his friends over, over vodka. 
and he handed them the keys to the factory. He said, I'm done. Factory is yours. I'm done. And he became a monk. And he decided to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, which is in, 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 Russian, in, or, in Russian Orthodox um, Christianity. That's, that's kind of a big deal, is making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He walked 9,320 miles through several countries until he finally reached his destination. He endured many trials, uh, including um, battling extreme weather, fending off suspicious authorities. But he remarked that his faith kept him going. After he had finished his pilgrimage, he retired to Mount Athos in Greece, where he has since resided at a monastery. And, and across the Christian traditions, there are countless stories just like this. I just like this one because it's a tradition that's very foreign to us. That's kind of confusing. Because day after day, we are told that, that this is the path to happiness. To buy this, to make this, to live here, to have these things. And yet so often people actually obtain success. And it looks different for different people. And yet they get it. And then they go, something's missing. Something's missing. And then they throw it all away. And people go, what are you doing? And, and this guy suffered. He suffered greatly in his pursuit of knowing Christ. Stories like this are great examples of dying to self and crucifying the flesh. They exchange what we often are deceived into thinking will make us happy, and they change it for what we often try to avoid, which is suffering. And I think we see this in Paul's story. Paul was rising through the ranks. He was kind of becoming... Top of the class. His career was flourishing. He was a he was an important dude. And he chucked it all away to join the very group that he was persecuting. And man, he suffered. We just saw that in the book of Acts in 2023, right? Shipwrecks, beatings, assassination attempts. He went through it all because of the good news, because of the gospel. The true gospel is a gift from God, not from man. There's so many angles to explain the gospel, and I think sometimes we're just tired of hearing it. If you grow up in church, you're like, yeah, I already heard that. I said a prayer in Awana like a bazillion years ago. Let's move on to other stuff. But there's depth to the gospel. The good news is at the center of everything that we do and everything that we are. Last week when we celebrated communion, we, we had elements, a little cracker and a little juice, and, and there's some, some meaning there And that God is the one who gave us the grapes, God is the one who gave us the wheat, and we make them into that, and yet we're using that to celebrate the fact that God has given us his son, Jesus Christ. There's a realization as people, that we have to come to, that everything we have, every good thing comes from God. He gave us the grapes, he gave us the wheat, but more importantly, he has given us his son. It is a gift. It is a gift. We cannot merit God's favor on our own. 
but in our fallen condition, where we as people, we live as rebels. We live in a, in a broken world. God stepped up to the plate. He became man. Jesus took the punishment that we deserved on himself, on the cross. And in his death, his burial, his resurrection, he defeated sin and death and devil. He had victory. If we put our trust in him, he forgives us. We can have peace with him, relationship with him. We can reign with him forever. And that is a gift. Not something we earn. It's a gift. Everything we get comes from God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We all deserve death. We all experience death, but in the work and person of Christ, there is an abundant gift that counteracts and overcomes death. So our core idea today is actually true in two senses. That the gospel message, like the content of that message, is from God. But the power of that message is also a gift from God, not a gift from man. It's also worth mentioning, though, that the gospel is not a human concept to update or replace. The gospel is not a concept, a man-made concept. Uh, we need to tweak it here and update it here. Now, the gospel can be poorly communicated. And so I think every generation there is a need for Christians to return to the simplicity of the gospel handed down by the apostles. Because it can get muddy and muddled over the years. As we sometimes maybe overemphasize one part and underemphasize another. Certainly that is true. And the gospel can be twisted by false teachers, and that is something certainly we need to guard our hearts against and our minds against and, and work against. And certainly the application of the gospel as, we, as God is working in our lives and we, we take what God has given us and we want to bless others, that is going to look different in different times and different places. But the true gospel is a pure and simple gift. And it does not change because it reflects a spiritual and physical reality. It's not just a fancy idea. And so we must be really wary of those who would change the gospel to better fit their view of what humanity needs or to better suit their own gain. There are so many false gospels out there. In the 19th and 20th century, there was a social justice gospel that was developed in the Western world that took the fruit of the gospel and made it the whole point of the gospel. Certainly, certainly, if, if we have been forgiven and received the peace of God, certainly we as Christians should be agents of justice wherever we are. God cares a lot about justice. He is with the widow and the oppressed. Justice matters to God. But there was this social justice gospel that developed that equated salvation with, with societal benefit and betterment. That, the, that really God has just called us to change institutions and to create programs to fix the world. And that is, that is the real salvation that God is offering to the world. It's taking the product of the gospel and making it the actual center point of the gospel. There's an American gospel which is not well-defined, but 
somewhat around the lines that if you follow God, he will make you healthy and wealthy. That's your salvation. That's the end game. That's really all that matters. You know, you get to float on a cloud someday, but really, if you honor God, he's going to give you a good American life. If you get a house, a spouse, kids, and a dog, that's like top tier, you know? That's like the next level. That's all you need to seek. Find a good American life. And just be quiet and go into retirement and just, just fade away. And that's, that's all you need. There's a nationalist gospel, which once again takes the product of the gospel and makes it the point of the gospel, saying that what matters most to God is that we organize our government off biblical principles. Now, certainly, if there was a great revival, and across America, people were repenting of their sin and putting their trust in Jesus. I, I bet there would be a whole bunch of corrupt politicians that would be repenting and resigning or changing their ways. And certainly it would affect our government and it would affect our laws. But there's a false gospel that says that salvation, the ultimate message that we carry to the world is no, we need to change our government. And then everything's going to be great. It's false. It doesn't work. And there are, there's a multitude of works-based movements that say, well, you need to do X. You need to do this first to be acceptable to God. There are modern Judaizers who still claim that the only true followers of God, while, while still accepting Jesus, are those who worship on Saturday and follow dietary laws. There's legalism in many different flavors and forms, which states that our path to become acceptable to God is not through finding our life in Christ, but through strict adherence to the religious rules of man. Yes, you know, yeah, we believe in the gospel. We believe in Jesus and forgiveness, but you need to clean up your act if he's going to have anything to do with you. There's a difference between repentance and a system of works. Certainly as Christians, we are called to repent. The apostle James said that faith without works is dead. If we have received the life of Christ, we will change. We will, know, we will want less and less to, to do with all of the sin in our lives and more and more we will want to fill our lives with the life that God is giving us. True faith changes us. Repentance is important. But a system of works says, hey, yeah, yeah, you, need to, you need to get in line if God's going to like you. You need to get in line if God's going to want anything to do with you. And if you don't follow these rules the exact way that we do, tough luck. It's a false gospel. And on the other side of that, the other side of the spectrum, on the other, the other side of getting rid of grace is a lifeless gospel where Jesus is just a means of obtaining fire insurance. That Jesus is not here to deliver us from evil now. We can just kind of do as we please and rest. Hey, we've been, I've been forgiven. I can kind of do whatever I want. Someday I get to, get, to, get to go to heaven, the end. Such a gospel misses who Jesus is entirely. He is here as our deliverer to deliver us from sin and death. And if you don't believe, if I don't believe that I need to be delivered 
from the things that Jesus came here to deliver me from? I think that's a different Jesus or a different gospel. All of these false gospels, any such false, false gospels, as Paul would say, let all who teach them be anathema. May they be accursed. And if I, here, teach a false gospel, let me be accursed. Because the gospel is so valuable. It is unchanging. The true gospel is a gift from God, not from man. It's not a human concept for us to update or replace. And so I think our, our call today, for those of us who are Christians in the room, is to continually return to the ancient simplicity of the good news. The gospel as a gift providing peace and forgiveness with God forever. To continually go back to God's word and make sure that we are not adding to the gospel or subtracting from the gospel. To enjoy its simplicity and the life that it brings. But there may be some of you in this room that have only ever believed a false gospel. You have a, a philosophical or religious past where the gospel just wasn't presented well. Maybe, maybe the well-intentioned people just didn't explain it well. Maybe it was twisted by false teachers regardless. This is a place we would encourage you to come and hear the true gospel. Test it. Read about it and put your trust in the work that Jesus has done for us. Certainly talk to me if that's something you'd like to dig into, if it's something you'd like to chase and be curious about. Galatians 1, 3 through 5, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.